So this morning, uh, we're talking, like I said, about David. We're going to continue the series and all the stories that we've been walking through that Pastor Robert has done. And we're going to take a little bit different turn this morning. Because so far, when we go back through everything that he's talked about, it's been incredibly positive, right? All these amazing things that have happened. David started out, he's the youngest brother in a family, so he was stuck out in the field keeping sheep. And one day the prophet shows up to their house and ends up, out of all the brothers, choosing the youngest. That's who God wanted to be the next king of Israel. So all of a sudden he goes from a shepherd to being anointed the next king of this nation, of God's nation. We know from the stories that he killed a lion and a bear while protecting those sheep. He then takes some food to his brothers at the battlefield and ends up going out to fight Goliath because everyone else is afraid. And so he kills Goliath, the giant. This puts him in close proximity with King Saul, the king of this nation. And so he befriends his son, Jonathan. We learned about that several weeks ago and their friendship. And then he also ends up marrying his daughter. So he's the son-in-law of the king. We know through all of this and through David's um, victories and, and military success and all the stuff that God has worked through David's life, Saul gets very jealous. And so Saul is out to get him, right? We talked about how Saul wants to kill him and David is constantly having to get away and evade him. And then it flips and David has the opportunity to kill Saul, which would not only take care of the problem of someone trying to kill him, but it would make him the next king. It would just start right away. And yet he chooses to spare Saul's life twice. We talked about that. We also talked about the situation with Nabal and Abigail where Abigail changes his mind about what to do with Nabal. And then through that situation, he ends up marrying Abigail after Nabal passes away. Um, His wives end up being captured and he has to go and rescue them and he battles through that whole situation Um, Saul and Jonathan eventually die and this kind of tears him up a little because he loved Saul and Jonathan was his best friend. And so he laments both of them. Um, But with Saul's death, he's finally made the king in Judah. Um, I didn't say Israel because the Israelite nation had these situations where Jerusalem and Judah and Israel didn't always agree on everything. And so there were some people in Israel who wanted to make Saul's other son the king instead of David. So they had a little uprising there and David takes care of that and is finally made the king of Israel. We talked uh, about, um, or it was mentioned when David brings the ark to Jerusalem to worship God there and the whole situation with him wanting to build a temple for the ark and God says no but instead I'm going to I'm going to do something else for you and we'll talk about that a little later. Um, and then 2 weeks ago we talked about Mephibosheth. I think I got that right. And how David cared for him even though that's Saul's family. In those days you killed the previous king's family. Instead he cared for him. Last week we learned about his mighty mighty men and all the things that they did and The stories about those guys' victories are amazing, but when you think about the fact that they're the ones following David, it kind of puts in perspective all the things he's done. 
So all of these amazing stories are happening in the life of one man. And that brings us to where we're at today, which is 2 Samuel 11. And so we're going to pick up there in verse 1 and see real quick. There's, this is a narrative that is two chapters. So out of all these stories that happen one after another, God stops the story here on this situation for this amount of verses, which is excellent because we get some detail, but tricky for me because we have to cover it all this morning. So I will not leave out anything important. But in 2 Samuel 11, we're there in verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So you see, it said, when kings go out to battle, David sent someone else. And David stayed in Jerusalem. And so that's where we, we start to see here David's sins. In verse 2, this first one's going to come up. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. So he's chilling, maybe taking a nap, getting close to dinner time or something. And he gets up and he's out on his porch. It says he's on the roof of the king's house. In those days, the roofs were flat. Okay, they weren't pitched like ours. So it's like their little courtyard patio is on their roof. So he's on the roof, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So immediately we know he's in trouble. <laughs> so the situation here is he's not where he should be because he's supposed to be out at battle. He's at the castle, and he sees this beautiful woman. And so the first sin we see is his covetousness. His covetousness. So David sees this woman and he says to his servants, who's that? And none of the servants uh, tell him like, hey, why are you checking out this lady? Why are you doing any of this? They say, uh, I believe that's Bathsheba, who is Eliam's daughter, who's Uriah's wife. They drop these two names and it's important because Last week, we didn't go through the whole list of the mighty men, but Eliam and Uriah were both two of David's mighty men. So it's one of their daughters and one of their wives. They're like, that's who it is. We're pretty sure you know who it is. So David doesn't you know, say, oh, okay, well then fine. He sends the servants to invite her to his house. And one thing leads to another, and she's, Sends back a message, probably, ladies, what would we say, four to five months later, or weeks later? Hey, David, I'm pregnant. And immediately everything is just like, what just happened? And so for David, he has this situation where we saw his covetousness, but now we see his adultery. And his adultery leads to Bathsheba being pregnant with his kid. So David is immediately on cleanup mode. Like, how do I fix this? I'm the king. I'm already married. She's married. What do I do to take care of all this? So here's his brilliant idea. Like we said, he sent the army out to the battle. He sends a letter for Uriah, her husband, to come home. He says, Uriah, you just got back from a journey. Why don't you go home and clean up? 
maybe see your wife. He's trying to hide the fact that this already happened. And Uriah ends up being a better person than David in the situation because Uriah gets sent out, but he sleeps at the gate of the palace with the servants. He doesn't leave. He doesn't go home. So David says, well, why didn't you go home? And Uriah says, why should I go home and get to sleep in my own bed and spend time with my wife when the army is out in the fields in tents? So Uriah's sitting here with a clear mind and David's just trying to fix his whole situation. And you can see the contrast between these two. So David tries again. He says, okay, let's have a meal. We're going to eat here at the palace. And David says, here, have another drink. Have another drink. Have another drink. Trying to get Uriah a little drunk, send him home, and cover everything up. That doesn't work. Uriah does the same thing. And he does not go home. So David's finally like, okay, I, what do I need to do here? And so in, in verse 14 and 15, we see what David did. He says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So David's grand idea is, we're going to put this guy in front of the battle and our guys are all going to step back to make sure that he gets killed. Not only that, this whole plan is written in a letter that he gives to the man he's trying to kill to deliver. So David is really, you know, grasping at straws here. So we see his third sin here is murder he's right now planning a murder and so what ends up happening is Uriah takes the letter to Joab who knew they all knew each other right and so Joab puts him where he needs to go in the hardest fighting and they kind of let him go up and he gets taken out now the the chapter here tells us that there was some uh setbacks as far as the battle the bigger battle was going on like it was like these things happened they attacked us from the wall and some not so great stuff we lost more people than we should have so the servant that Joab is going to send back he says tell him everything that happened when he's upset tell him that Uriah is dead end with the good news for David from David's point of view so that's what the servant does David's like why are we losing the battle and he's like, oh, by the way, uh, your servant Uriah is dead. And so David probably like, all right then. And he kind of says, well, that's all right. Tell him not to worry about it. We're, we're trying our hardest. And we took care of what we needed to. So David has no anger about the rest of it because of his situation being what he thinks resolved. And so that's where chapter 11 ends is that they hear about his death and Bathsheba, his wife, finds out that Uriah is dead. And so she mourns and then David takes her to be his wife. Okay, so he thinks he's good. You know, she's, she's still pregnant, obviously, but there's no more husband. He has a husband. It's okay for them. Or he has her as a wife. It's okay for them to have a kid now, so to speak. So in chapter 12 we're going to start to see uh, David's repentance. 
it starts out with um, Nathan the prophet. You think of these prophets, you know, generally as like an older guy who's very wise, you know, maybe bald. And he comes to David and he says, I need to tell you something. Now this, remember, sorry, I skipped this step. The baby is already born. So this is almost a year later now. Okay. And Nathan comes along and says, hey, David, I have a story to tell you. And he says, there were two men, one was rich and one was poor. And the rich man had tons of flocks, all kinds of sheep, just they're all over the place. And the poor man has one little ewe lamb. And what happened is a traveler came to the rich man, like a guest. What you do is you prepare them a meal. But instead of taking from all of his sheep, he didn't want to. So he took the poor man's one sheep and prepared it for the guest. And David is hearing this story and David goes, what? Are you kidding me? This guy should be put to death. David just kind of loses it. He says, the lamb should be restored fourfold. That means he should give him back four lambs for his one. On top of he should be put to death. And that old prophet Nathan probably squares him up and kind of looks at him and says, you are the man. David, that was you. You just did that to Uriah, and then you killed him instead of you dying, which is what you just judged as the punishment. So he literally just calls him out and says, it's time for you to be held accountable. And when, our, when it comes to our sin, we see with David's repentance here that we need accountability, okay? When David is hearing this story, one of two things is going through his head. Either he doesn't realize it's about him, right? He hears this story and he does not connect the parable to what happened in his life. Or he completely knows what it is and still tries to act like nothing happened. And so either way, he needed Nathan to come along and tell him, look, you are living in this sin and that needs to be done. And so he finally stops. He tells him it's him. And sometimes we need that help, just like David, to admit that we're wrong. I'll say that again. Sometimes we need someone to help us know that we need to admit that we are wrong. Right? As humans, we don't want to. Pride gets in the way or, you know, we just don't want to look bad. But we need that help because until we acknowledge our sin, we can't confess it. You can't confess something that you're not owning up to. So that brings us to the second point here. Um, Or I'm sorry, the first point is that made David able to repent. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. After all this time of trying to cover it up and hide it, he finally breaks down and he just admits what he knows to be true. I have sinned against the Lord. In this passage, this chapter 12, this is the only thing that David says. After he he gave that answer about the guy should be put to death, Nathan starts 
teaching him, basically. And all David says is, I have sinned. He can't talk his way out of it. He can't fix it. He can just admit what he did. However, the Bible gives us a little bit more insight into uh, David's mindset here. Um, I'm going to flip over and just read a couple verses from Psalm 51. We're going to look at this again next week. Um, But I wanted to just show you a couple things. Um, In your Bible or in the Bible app on YouVersion, at the beginning of Psalm, each Psalms, it'll each Psalm it will say, like who wrote it, like what happened, what was going on. Like there's usually like a little note. Maybe sometimes there's not, but for this one, it actually says, "To the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba." That's pretty specific, and it allows us to place the writing of this Psalm right after this had all happened. Because of that, we can see where David's at when he finally has this repentance. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your love. According to your mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Cast me not away from your presence. Take your Holy Spirit from me. He just goes on and on. All these statements of, God, you have to do something for me to be fixed. Clean me. There's these actions. Have mercy. Be merciful to me. Blot out my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me. Purge me. Again, he says, wash me. Renew me. Restore me and deliver me. All of these actions for how the situation is going to be fixed are on God to do. And David recognizes that. And he knows what he's done wrong, and he knows that God is the only one who can fix it. We also know that Psalm 32 is written fairly close to this time frame. And in that one he says, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. So he knows that he has done something wrong, but he also knows that he is forgiven. But verses 3 and 4 tell us that David felt the burden and the weight of hiding that sin for a year. However long that about a year was, it says that he, his bones ached and his body groaned and the, it dragged on. Like it was the longest year because he did not confess his sin and verse 5 tells us that he finally gave up and he confessed and what did God do he forgave he forgave David and being forgiven by God allowed David to then pursue so he repented and now he's going to pursue because what happens at the end of chapter 12 is that David gathers the rest of the army and goes back to where he's supposed to be takes the army, they go back to the battle, and they finish it. Because that's what he was supposed to be doing this whole time. Because he finally confessed his sin and allowed God to start restoring him, he was able to go back to where he was supposed to be and continue. There wasn't like, okay, you got to go through these 20 stages of recovering who you were, you know, and earn it back. God put him back and started using him again. Because only God can do that. 
Lastly, we were going to see God's faithfulness. And what we see is that God was faithful to forgive. We know that David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan right away responds to him and says, The Lord also has put away your sin. You will not die. In other words, you are forgiven. God has put this away. We saw in Psalm 32, he confessed his sin and God forgave his sin. There's another passage in the New Testament, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we see God is always faithful to forgive when we confess our sin. Secondly, we see that, that God's faithful to heal. So we know that um, the battle was, was won. He went and was able to take his place as the leader of the army and they won again. He had another victory. But we also know from the story, so David's, the child that was born out of this situation, um, God said, the, the child's going to die. That's part of your punishment. And so we know that sin has consequences. But the forgiveness and the restoration and the healing came, and one of the parts of that is that David and Bathsheba had another son after this. And the Bible says she bore a son and they called his name Solomon and the Lord loved him. So we know there was those short-term consequences like they, the baby was, was, was died. It became sick and died. Uh, this was likely Bathsheba's first child, so for her it was probably even more you know, difficult of a situation because um, losing any child is not easy. In the long term, though, God, had, God said through Nathan, the sword's never going to depart your house. And evil would be raised up against David out of his own family. So that would come in the form of his son Absalom, who would try to overthrow him. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. But then the house, uh, the sword not departing from the house, in just two generations, so Solomon is the next king. And then after him is his son, who Solomon's servant, they butted heads and they tried to both be king and it ends up splitting the nation permanently. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it's two groups of people until they finally come back from exile. And so this whole kingdom is, is split over David's sin. But in spite of all of those consequences, God also wanted to heal. He blessed them with a son, and they named him Solomon. Uh, this blessing obviously would comfort their hearts in that season. It's never, uh, we went through this in our family where my brother-in-law lost his two-year-old. And just this year, they had, he had a, a, his next child since that. And it's never a replacement. We've talked about that in our family multiple times. But it's still a blessing. It, it's just kind of a, a restoration a little bit of that part of your heart. And it, it helps to heal it. But we also see that God's laying his groundwork for the future through Solomon because God is also faithful to his promises. Earlier I alluded to when David 
brought the ark to Jerusalem, he asked God, hey, can I build you a temple? I want to build a temple for the ark for you. You'll meet with us there. God was basically like, no, I don't need a house. I've never been in one. I've been with you in the wilderness. We met in a tent. Kind of like our church. We were all over the place. But God was like, I don't need a permanent house. But here's what I will do for you. And God says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. When you read that and you think about Solomon, Solomon's coming from his body and, and it ends up, we have obviously the hindsight to say, Solomon built the temple. David wasn't allowed to, but then Solomon built him a temple. God had allowed Solomon to do that. And their kingdom would have been established forever except for the whole, you know, splitting over their petty differences. But what David definitely didn't realize was that God was paving the way there for someone greater. Like David, you go through all these things, he has this bad situation and let's not water that down. But he was a great king. And God is still making way for somebody better than him. And we're not talking about Solomon or any of his sons. We're talking about the fact that David and Bathsheba are the great, 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 I forget how many times I'm supposed to say this, grandparents of Jesus Christ. So, in spite of what had happened, God made somebody come from him to be king who's going to build a temple someday when it's rebuilt in, in eternity and this kingdom is going to go on forever. And Matthew 1 lists out, we're gonna, this is the last Sunday of the series when we get to Matthew 1. We see the genealogy that goes right through David and Solomon on down to Jesus. So David really made a mess of things. He really screwed up. But God stayed faithful to what he had promised to David. Why did he do that? So why, what is the big point for today? This is what I want you to take home. It's a long story. There's a lot going on. I understand that. This is what we need to remember. The God who forgave, restored, and used David is the same God who will forgive, restore, and use you and me. See, that's because we know David wrote a ton of the Psalms, but he wrote two, Numbers 14 and 53, where the Apostle Paul quotes those in Romans. He says, there is none righteous. No, not one. Because we're all sinners. Despite God's design for humanity that we would live in a perfect relationship with him, mankind has departed from that because of sin. We're all born as sinners into brokenness. We aren't born perfect and our environment messes us up or anything like that. We're born sinners. We come over here and start in brokenness. The question is not, are you a sinner? The question is, what are you going to do about it? So when we talk about Life and the difficulties, and this is where it's connecting now to the three circles. 
God designed how our lives should look, and it's broken because of sin. But just like David, we have a chance to get to a place where we repent and believe in the gospel. That's what David was doing. When we do that and invite Jesus into our hearts, we call that salvation. We know that David was following God as a lifestyle. Okay, he didn't believe in the cross, you know, the the gospel that way, but he was following a follower of God. We call that salvation, but when we're saved and something happens, what do we what do we do then? The same process applies to our lives. We just we don't call it salvation over and over. We call it restoration. God takes us, picks us up, cleans us back up, and gives us another opportunity to live for him if we will confess our sin. If we will admit what we screwed up, God will take care of it. He will forgive us. That enables us to then recover and pursue God's design. And so that's why last time I spoke, I mentioned the gospel is not a diving board into like a Christianity swimming pool. The gospel is the pool. We dive in and we spend our time there. That's where we are. And so this three circles is just a way to present that gospel and explain it. But it applies to our lives through salvation and through restoration every time we mess up. Because if I'm living over here, I'm following God's design, I'm serving in the church, and then I go off on my family and just make everything a mess, I'm back over here. I'm saved, but I'm over here. And I'm separated from God. There's a, a break in our relationship. And the only way back is Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so what we see is that if we confess our sins, the Bible tells us he will forgive us. And if we believe that Jesus came, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, all for us to pay for our sins, we can recover that relationship with God that he designed us for. And so if you're a Christian here today who's living in some kind of sin, it doesn't have to be like David. That's pretty... pretty uh, you know, maximum, feels like. But anything, the Bible tells us, don't carry that weight around. David said, it felt like I was carrying a burden that whole time. Confess your sin. Let God take it away from us and let, us, let God enable us to recover and pursue that relationship. If you're not a, a believer in Christ, maybe you've never heard this, maybe you've heard it, uh, before you just never connected the dots but man if you you don't know what i'm talking about the the gospel is not um it's not just like a a magic potion it's not a a formula that just makes everything okay it's god loving us so much that he wants us to be able to live the life that he designed us for and he made the only way that we can get there is through the gospel. And so maybe you're thinking, you know, I, I, I get what you're talking about. I've struggled with some things. And the alarm bells are going off because we're talking about how to, how to take care of that. 
If we confess like David, we can be forgiven, we can be restored, and we can be used for God. We can live the life that God designed us for if we allow him to work in our lives, to forgive us, to clean us, to restore us. Let's pray.